Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim, and I am one of the pastors here, and we are delighted to have you here. Uh, we have a couple updates for you regarding two of our campuses, and um, I know many of you have been praying about our Vestal campus and our Tunkhannock campus, and so they've been without a campus pastor, so they're not as fortunate as you guys are, and so I know many of you have been praying about that. So let me give you a little update on that. Uh, the overseers have unanimously recommended a man named Kurt Goglin for Tuncanic Campus. And uh, here's a picture of Kurt and his family. And Kurt and Amanda and their family, they have already been living in Tuncanic. They've been uh, faithfully serving in several of their ministries. And uh, we see Kurt as a vital part of that campus and what God is doing. So please continue to pray for Tuncanic and Kurt as he walks through that process and uh, you guys know a little bit about what that is like. And uh, the next guy uh, we have is Aaron Patton. Aaron and Amanda, different Amanda. Uh, they are coming from uh, Missouri. So Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Aaron has been a lead pastor there for about 16 years. And uh, he's in the process of interviewing. He'll be coming out in the next few months to preach. And so please continue to pray for each of these campuses it's our desire that God would make it clear for both the campus and these individuals that this is a good fit for, for us and for them. So please continue to pray. Uh, well, as we get started, I'm excited because we are starting a brand new series on the book of 1 Corinthians. And this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Corinth. And right now, it's just a small town in Greece with really little significance. But back in the Bible, it was a very significant place. It was a thriving and prosperous location. Uh, they were strategically located up high, which was on purpose. They wanted to be up high so that they would be harder to attack. So all their enemies had to climb uphill to attack them. They also were a place of low morals and a place filled with sin and wickedness. It was very much an anti-God culture. In fact, many people would travel to Corinth just to go take a break from morality. The closest parallel I can think of is, is really Las Vegas, where their motto is, what happens in Vegas stays in... You guys have been there too, all right. <laughs> Sin City, he knows. He's from Los Angeles. Corinth was very similar. Whoa. Siri's trying to call somebody. That's really creepy. All right. Corinth is also just like Sin City. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And so Paul is starting to address. We're not there yet. You can go back. Paul is starting to address how to engage in the mess. And as he engages with these Christians, one of the first topics he talks about is identity. And so when you hear the word identity, I wonder what comes to mind. If I asked you today, where is your identity, what would you say? If that question causes a little bit of confusion for you, I want to help you understand that. You see, when I was in high school, I loved the sport of wrestling. That is where I got my identity. I surrounded my entire life 
with this sport of wrestling. I loved it. And in fact, when we were in the off season, we were in the summer, I would continue to run, I would continue to train, I would continue to work out, I would continue to wrestle with other high schools, and I would go to wrestling camps because my life was so consumed with wrestling. That's where I got my identity. And my identity didn't necessarily come from the feeling of winning, but my identity came from everybody thinking that I was a great athlete. Everybody liking me, everybody applauding me, everybody appreciating me, everybody loving me, my classmates knowing me and knowing that I was good at something. And my identity was all wrapped up in that. And I believed in my mind that if I was a great athlete and if I worked hard enough, then I would be able to go compete at the college level. And so that was my goal. And I thought, if I make it to college and I begin to compete at the collegiate level, then then I have arrived. And so I worked really, really hard. And when I got to college, I found out that when I was in high school, I was the big fish in a little pond. And now I was the little fish in a big pond, and I was getting tossed around. I think I won about half of my matches. I went from doing all the whooping to getting whooped on. And so in an instant... My identity was just blown to smoke, and I felt like a failure. I felt like a loser, and my identity had been taken away because I believed that my identity determines my practice, and I still believe that, and you saw that in my life. I think we all kind of know what that's like, right? For some of you, maybe you get your identity from being in school or academics or maybe your identity is found in work, or maybe being a husband, or a wife, or a parent. But what if we have the wrong view of our identity? That's the thing that Paul talks about in this book. So as we get into this new series, Paul is going to remind these Christians of their identity and who they are, not as athletes, not as parents, not as people in the workforce, but as followers of Christ. So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians. While you're turning there, we'll set the stage for you because I think there's some things that we need to learn about Corinth. First, it's a city that was ideal for defense. It was a city that was easily defendable because it was so high. It, a higher city is easy to defend than a city low in a valley. And so you find Corinth there, and it has clean water. And this is a location that was set up for prosperity. Now let's look at the map. There is Corinth right there. And the other thing that you need to know about Corinth is that it was a prosperous place, and it was located on a four-mile piece of land that sat between the mainland and the Peloponnese. And it was also strategically placed between two gulfs. It was a, a land bridge between the Gulf of Corinth and the Saronic Gulf. And so that was a place that helped them become prosperous because people traveled through Corinth. If they were coming from Egypt or Israel or, or Asia and they were going to Rome, you can see the trade routes that they had to go through Corinth. And so they would typically stop there because to travel around would be an extra 200 miles, and it was extremely dangerous. And so ships often couldn't make it around this. 
So they would stop there, they would unload all of their cargo, and they would pay people to drag their cargo across Corinth. And while they're there, they're waiting, they're also spending time, and they're spending money. And so this became a very healthy economy. This was the center for trade. It was the center for manufacturing. And so since you could ship anything anywhere, this became the crossroads for the entire Roman Empire. This was a melting pot of people and cultures. And so people from all over the world would come and spend time in Corinth. It was also a place for religious pilgrims. They had temples in Corinth to the temple for Apollo. They had a temple for Aphrodite. And in these temples, they had lots. They had thousands of prostitutes where people would go. And that was part of their culture, and that was part of their worship. And so this is Sin City. It's a prosperous, wealthy economy, but it is filled with sin and wickedness. And it was a significant city, but extremely immoral. And before Paul came to Corinth, he was actually in Athens. And he makes the change going to Corinth. I think one of the reasons Paul goes to Corinth is because he knew it was the center of the entire Roman world that he could preach freely in Athens. But if he goes to Corinth, he can reach people for Christ. And those people will literally go all over the world. So here we are, 1 Corinthians. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Think about that. Why does Paul actually take the time to describe himself? They know who he is. He started the church, and here he describes himself. I believe he's describing himself as an apostle because he is throwing down this trump card. He's throwing down a card of authority. If you look at Paul's letters, he would typically describe himself in four different ways. First, he would describe himself just by using his name, in name only. Secondly, he would describe himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Third, you see in his letters, he describes himself as a servant. And here, he describes himself as an apostle. I think one of the reasons he's throwing down this trump card of authority is because he and this church are butting heads. That the church of Corinth is frustrated with Paul and they're not getting along with Paul. And Paul is frustrated with the church and he's not getting along with them. And he is saying, okay guys, there's some things going on in your life. There's some things happening in your church and we need to take care of it. It's kind of like the boss or the principal calling you into the office and saying, hey, there's some things I've seen. There's some things I've heard. We've got to straighten some things out. And so that's what Paul is doing. And he's saying, I'm an apostle. And there's three qualifications to an apostle. First, he was an eyewitness to the post-resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, he was personally commissioned by Jesus. And third, his qualifications were verified by signs, wonders, miracles. And so Paul is fully qualified to be an apostle. And he's letting them know, here I am. I'm an apostle. And he mentions a guy named Sosthenes. Now, I think he mentioned Sosthenes either because Sosthenes was there with him or 
he was helping write this letter. A lot of people believe that Paul had some eye problems. He didn't see so well. So it very well could be that he is dictating to Sosthenes and he is simply a scribe. And so there he is, and he's writing to this church, and this is what he says. Look at verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is talking to these people who are filled with sin and immorality, and it really strikes me that he says they are sanctified. That's kind of interesting because the word sanctified means to be holy. It means to be holy and it means to be set apart in position. And so here is this church and he says, no matter what's going on in your life as a follower of Jesus, you are sanctified. That's your identity. That's their identity. And so many times I look at myself, I look at my sin, I look at my mistakes, and that begins to fog up what I really think is true about me. And here God is saying, this is what is true about you. You are sanctified. The other thing he says is that they're holy people. They are called to be holy. But not only are they called to be holy, they are set apart in practice. So let me show you this next slide. They are sanctified and they are holy people. They are set apart in position and they are set apart in practice. And that is true for you and I as a follower of Christ, when you put your faith in Christ alone, your identity is radically transformed. And you stand before God, and he looks at you, and he says, you are sanctified, and you are holy. That's who we are in Christ. And so Paul is saying this with, with confidence, that you're your identity has been changed. But the problem is their practice is not matching up with their position. Their practice is not matching up with their position. And he's saying, okay, guys, we've got to talk about some things. And so this is what he rolls out. You are in Christ, and your identity has been radically changed. And so let's talk about how do we live our lives moving forward. Paul is deeply concerned about this church. They have, are filled with so many controversies and fighting and battling. This church, it's amazing that this church survived at all. In chapter 5, he addresses some immorality. There's a guy in the church who's actually sleeping with his stepmom. And the church is celebrating it. They think that they're so open and loving. And it's a good thing. And the culture around them is going, okay, we're Sin City and we're not even thinking that's a good idea. And then there's an issue with people in the church who continue to visit prostitutes. And then there's, a, there's problems with communion where rich people are leaving work earlier, taking the day off, and they're going to take communion. And they're not including other people. 
and they're eating ahead of them, and they're getting drunk, and by the time the poor people show up, there is nothing left, and there's just no place for them to sit, and they're sitting outside. And so this church is filled with all sorts of issues. In fact, Paul spends three chapters going over how to have a godly, Christ-centered worship service. At the end of the book, he begins to address some people who are denying the resurrection. There are people there in this church who are going, resurrection, uh, maybe, maybe not, I'm not really sure. And so this is the church that Paul is writing to. And he says, you are sanctified and you are holy. Now, as you look at Paul's letters, he typically spends some time thanking them and thanking God for what they're doing. In verse 4, he says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. In some of his writings, in the book of Romans, he says, I thank God for your faith. In Ephesians, he says, I thank God for your faith and your love. And then in Philippians, he says, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. And then in First and Second Thessalonians, he says, I thank God for your endurance, your faith, your hope, in your love. And knowing what we know about this church and the laundry list of sin, what is he going to thank God for? I mean, there's really not a whole lot that you and I would be thankful for if this was our church. We'd be like, I don't really know. But look at what Paul does. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because what? Because of his grace. So Paul thanks God for God. And he says, I see God's grace in your life. Grace is unearned favor. That's amazing. That Paul, seeing this messed up church, he says, this is a messed up church, but it is totally blessed by God. And I see God's grace working in your life. When's the last time you stopped and looked around for God's grace. When's the last time you looked for God's grace in other people's lives, despite the problems, despite the mess? In this messed up church, Paul says, you know what? There's not a whole lot going well. In fact, if you and I were to visit this church, we'd be like, I don't really want to go to this church. This is weird, super creepy. I can't believe all this is happening. I'll go somewhere else. And Paul says, this church is marked by God's grace. Then he's going on and he says, there are three resources that show God's favor that I want to unpack. So look at verse five with me. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you, Therefore, do not lack, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So Paul mentions three resources that this church has. And the first resource is the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 7. They have these spiritual gifts. This is a part of God's grace. They didn't earn it. And they didn't deserve it. And he says, despite all that is happening in this church, the only evidence that I see that you are a follower of Christ is that the Holy Spirit is at work and you guys have spiritual gifts. 
Second resource, look at verse 7 and 8. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm. The second resource that they have is that God's security is seen in their lives. That God will keep you firm. That is a resource. That's a resource of God's grace. It's true for the church of Corinth, and it's true for us. That God will keep you firm. You can't lose your salvation. Once you're in Christ, that's forever. So Paul thanks God that they have a position in Christ And they're going to stand before God as blameless. So not only is their identity holy, sanctified, but it is that they are blameless. That's their identity. It's been radically transformed by the gospel. All of that is evidence of his grace. Next thing we see in verse 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship. Christ fellowship is that third resource. That word fellowship is the word koinonia. It's the idea of close relationships, close association with like mutual interests. And you think, how can this church, so evil, so wicked, so sinful, be considered a friend of God? That's his grace. You and I don't deserve his grace. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And yet, these things that are true for this church in Corinth are also true for you and I. That you and I have fellowship with Christ. They are a messed up church blessed by God because they have God's unearned favor. And in the same way, they didn't earn it, neither did you or I. And so there is something that can happen when we experience God's grace for too long. Sometimes pride begins to creep in our lives and spiritual harshness can start to creep up. You've probably noticed it, not in yourself, but probably in other people, right? Think for a moment. How do you talk How do we talk about people who have left our church? How do we talk about people who have left our campus? How do we talk about people who maybe are living differently than you and I? Is it with grace? Is it with kindness? Is it with mercy? How do we talk about those people? God's grace is all over our lives. Sometimes we fail to see it, not because it's not there, because we're not looking for it. And so I would challenge you, as you talk to people, as you talk about people, let's do so with grace. The grace that we have in our lives, we didn't earn it, and we don't deserve it. And I want to remind you that if you and I are not careful, pride can creep up, spiritual harshness, can creep up. But we have God's grace, it will radically change us. 
And so we see the fruit in our lives. Imagine that I decided I was going to grow an orange tree in New York. I go to the store, and I buy the tree, and I talk to the salesman, and he says, this is an orange tree, here's a tag, here's the sign, and I go and I plant it behind our campus, and I am so geeked about this orange tree in New York, right? And I put the sign that says orange tree right next to the tree so everybody else can know it's an orange tree. I read the instructions, and I start to fertilize it with citrus specific fertilizer and I'm taking care of it and, and slowly this tree begins to grow and grow and grow and I'm looking at it and I'm going, huh, kind of looks like an apple tree. But I know that the salesman told me it's an orange tree and so the sign says orange tree so I continue to take care of it and eventually some fruit starts coming off and it starts to look like an apple. And I go, well, I know what the sign says, so it's, it's definitely an orange tree, and it gets a little bit bigger, and finally I, I grab one of those pieces of fruit off the tree, and I take a bite into it, and I go, wow, that tastes awfully like an apple. I would no longer say that's an orange tree, right? If it looks like an apple and it tastes like an apple, it's an apple tree. And in the same way, someone can claim to be a follower of Christ, but if their fruit doesn't match, if their practice doesn't match their position, are they a Christ follower? Now, I'm not saying that we ought to be judgmental, but we ought to be fruit inspectors of ourselves and other people. And your fruit should match your identity. And what Paul is saying to this church is, your fruit is not matching your identity. And he is trying to clarify and straighten some things out. But we ought to be careful. We ought to be cautious of spiritual harshness and pride. Because those are tendon, tendencies to grow, grow in our own hearts. So here are a couple things I want to leave you with. One, embrace God's grace. Embrace God's grace that's given to you. Look at the grace in your own life and embrace that. Look for it. Don't miss it because his grace is all over your life. Secondly, embrace God's grace or celebrate God's grace in others. These are the last two slides. Number one, embrace God's grace in you and two, celebrate God's grace in others. How are we doing at that? Do we tend to celebrate the grace that we see in other people? I mean, as, as a church, we do phenomenal at celebrating when people come to know Christ with those carnations. And when people take that next step and they're baptized, we cheer. This place turns into a raucous party. But how well do we do when it's just one-on-one, -on -one, when we're around these people, do we take the time to really celebrate God's grace in their lives? So here's, here's how I challenge you to live this out this week. Number one, take some time to really thank God for his grace in your life. That this week that you would get alone with God and you begin to write out or journal or thank God in your time of prayer for his grace in your life. Second way you can apply this 
is find the person who really bothers you the most and pray for them. And don't pray in peccatory prayers or that God would do something really bad to them, but genuinely pray for them. How else are we going to celebrate the grace of God in those people's lives if we're not even able to take a few moments and pray for them? A third way you can apply this is begin reading through the book of 1 Corinthians. As we begin to study this book, my challenge to you is that you would maybe take some time and just read a little bit of 1 Corinthians every single day so you get a bigger picture of what is happening in this book and how God is using Paul and using this church in an amazing way. Let me pray with you. God in heaven, we are thankful for your grace. We are amazed by your grace. We ask that you would help us to embrace the grace that is in us. You would help us to celebrate the grace that we see in other people's lives. And that we would continue to focus and fix our eyes on Christ alone. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to roll right into communion. So if you have your communion.